0: Hey, this is Jason Hubbard and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. We've been talking about gathering at the table, and last week, Jason shared a great word about the four cups and how the Lord drank one, and then he's waiting to drink the last cup with us when his kingdom comes back, so when he returns, and I think it's just a great uh, reminder for us to know that he is preparing a place for us. He has a place for us. Today, as I was studying and just preparing for this message, I began to think about the table. And why, why would you come to a table? I, I asked this in our pre-service. We, have, we meet with all of our leaders, and they all got it. So I'm hoping that you'll get it too. Why do you come to a table? Eat. To eat. Okay, why do you eat? You're hungry. There we go. You guys got it. <laughs> Woohoo! Good job. Yeah, you're hungry. You come to a table because you're hungry. And so we don't just gather around our tables to eat because we're full. We gather because we're hungry. And so my question that I kind of want to pose for us today is, are we hungry for him? Are we hungry for him? Is the yearning in our heart for him? Are we desiring Jesus more than anything else? Is our belly full of other things? Or is it is it hungering and thirsting for him and his goodness and his kindness? And so I kind of want to go there today with us, but, you know, our culture makes it very difficult to gather around a table. Has anybody else noticed that? Uh, You're eating in the car, you're eating in front of the TV, you're eating with your cell phone, uh, trying to work at lunchtime, you know. Uh, You're always doing something else besides gathering together at a table. Not always. Our family gathers at a table. I'm sure many of yours do too. But we, we kind of rush through meals sometimes, right? But the invitation, the invitation from God is to come and to look one another in the eye, to eat slowly, to actually engage with one another, and to learn and commune together. And that was the invitation that Jesus presented to his disciples when he was talking to them about the table. So we have a little book that I read a long time ago, actually. It's called um, The Life-Giving Table, and it's by Sally Clarkson. And they have a little motto in their home called Faith by Feasting. And, you know, not all of us have a feast every meal, but the point is they grow their faith as they sit at the table together and they talk with one another. And they talk about the Lord. They talk about the Bible. They talk about what's going on in their own hearts and in their own minds. And so we want to grow a church that builds their faith by feasting, feasting on the word of God together. Uh, You know, meals are a constant need. We need to eat every three to four hours, right? So we wake up in the morning and what do we do? We eat. Not my husband, but everybody else does. Um, (laughs) He skips all the meals and then like, like eats like five portions for dinner. Um, it's been a constant tension in our marriage. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but most people, <laughs> they get hungry every few hours, right? And we want to eat and we want to consume. How often do you pick up your water bottles to drink a drink? Like how many times on average per hour do you think? A lot, right? We, we constantly are thirsty. Our bodies were designed that way to continually consume water, right? Well, I want us to think about something. Jesus told the woman at the well that he was the living water, which means a spiritual implication for us is that we should be drinking him continually. Just as we are drinking our natural water, I want us to kind of begin to associate, oh, Lord, I receive your love. When I'm drinking this water that you've provided for my natural body, I want to receive the spiritual love, the spiritual water that you have given me. And so we begin to remind ourselves, remind ourselves, remind ourselves of his love and his goodness that's been poured out for us. And so just as our natural bodies need to eat every few hours, we need to consume spiritual things every few hours as well. And and I know that that might sound complicated because when you're sitting at your computer working and typing away um, or working on a house or building something or doing something with your hands, it might seem like, oh, I can't really consume spiritual things. But what if we were just to meditate on him throughout the day? What if we were to be so hungry as a people that we can't get enough of him, that every few hours we're thinking on him and thinking on his word and thinking about what he's saying and thinking about what he's doing. And we actually ask the Lord, Like, make me so hungry that I can't get enough of you. Because whatever we feed our appetite, what do we start craving? What we fed it, right? So if we're constantly feeding ourselves our phones and the screen, and I don't know about you, but the more I look at it, the more I want it, (laughs) right? The more you're scrolling, it's like in our brains, we begin to hunger for our phone, or if we watch shows on TV, we begin to hunger for the shows. Or if we watch the news a lot, we begin to hunger for the news. Oh, I just need to know what's happening in the world. Oh, I just need more of the news. And it, it, it grips us, right? So whatever is going in becomes the appetite for our hunger. It becomes our appetite. We're always going to be hungry. But the question is, what are you meeting the hunger with? right? So we begin, it's, it's kind of twofold. If you're not hungry for the things of God, if you're not hungry for his righteousness and his love and his grace and his mercy, ask him to change your appetite because it's only by his divine love that that changes. Um, so anyway, I'm way past where I am in my notes. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go through a couple things really quick. The the Lord actually built this into us, right? So I wanted to talk through, in the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning of time, Genesis says that he made the garden for man and woman, and then that he put them in it, and he said, eat freely. And this was before the fall of man, okay? So this is actually before Adam sinned. Adam was hungry before he fell, And I think that that's something spiritual for us. God built it into us to be hungry, to continually want more of him, to want, like, we need to consume something. We need something outside of us for sustenance. We don't get it in our own selves. We actually get it from him. And so he actually built us that way in the Garden of Eden we would always be hungry we and that's not a result of the fall which i think before i did this study i always thought of like hunger pain as like a result of the fall but he made us so that we would always need to consume we would always need to consume and it actually goes that way for eternity because one of the last things god says in revelation 22 is he says drink freely So in the Garden of Eden, he said, eat freely. And in the end of time, when we're with him, he says, drink freely. So we're always going to be drinking of him, even in heaven. And so this hunger and thirst is actually tied through the whole Bible. And I was going to go through a bunch of things where... Like God shows us a table throughout the whole Bible, but I'm going to skip that today because I just didn't feel like it was worth noting. But I want to challenge you. If you want to do like look into this a little bit, there's it's something that the authors that I love, they coined as tableology, tableology. It's basically uh, where we look at the table as something uh, that is throughout the Bible and we study it. So I want to challenge you. Look at all the places where the Lord brings a table and prepares it for his people. Um, All the way from the Garden of Eden, all the way to Revelation, he prepares a table for his people. And we can see that with Abraham. Abraham makes food for guests that are visiting, and he lays a table for them. Uh, There's also Israel's first Passover meal. He instituted a table right there uh, with his people. He set up seven feasts for the Israelites to have. Seven Seven feasts throughout the years. And you know what is so cool? God likes a good party. He likes a good meal. He likes a good feast, right? And I think sometimes we shy away from being excited and having parties in our Christian culture. We're like, oh, it's gotta be solemn and subdued. But let me tell you, the Lord actually created parties for his people to celebrate him and to worship and to praise and to get excited and to be filled with joy. We are not meant to be a people who are like, I mean, let's let's let the joy of the Lord come forth and begin to stir in us and and wake our souls up. We're hungry for Him, and He has unlimited love for us, unlimited, unlimited love to pour into your life. He says, "Come to Me, all of you who are are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you the good things that I have for you." And so we've got to lay aside our our heavy weights and begin to praise the Lord. Let's begin to worship Him and let Him fill us with the good things that he has for us. It says in the Bible, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. Taste and see. His goodness is there to fill us and to give us what we need. Um, I want to skip down to, and this is in your notes, a story out of Luke 19. Uh, and it's about Zacchaeus. And it's a, Zacchaeus is a man, I'm going to read the scripture and I'll let it just kind of tell you who he is. <laughs> um. So it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I will give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This is from Luke 19, 1 through 10. And I just have a few things I want to pull out from this story about Zacchaeus. The first thing is that Zacchaeus was hungry. Zacchaeus was hungry. He was desiring something, and I don't think he even knew what it was. He just saw, like he heard about Jesus and there was something in him that was stirred. And he's, he was like sitting there and he's like, I, gotta, I don't want to just see Jesus. I want to I wanna see him. I don't want to just know that he passed by and everybody else got to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him for myself. And so, we, all of us, inside of us, need to stir up this ha- hunger, not to be satisfied with our spouse knowing Jesus, not to be satisfied with the people in the church knowing Jesus, but for us to personally, I wanna see him myself. I wanna partake of him myself. I don't wanna just watch him pass by and touch everyone else. I wanna be a part of it. And so, Jesus, or Zacchaeus was hungry. The second thing is Zacchaeus wanted to see. He wanted to see. He wasn't satisfied with not seeing. So he ran ahead. He came up with a plan. I'm going to run ahead so I can climb up in that tree and so that I can see him. So I can like partake of who he is. And there was this hunger that motivated him, but then he wanted to see. The third thing that we can see is that Zacchaeus was willing to look foolish to see. I want, to picture, I want you to picture this, like really picture this. Zacchaeus is a rich man. He's a very rich man, and he's a tax collector. Everyone kind of despises tax collectors in this day and age. They're kind of the worst of the worst. But he doesn't care. He like runs ahead and climbs up a tree. He risks ripping his clothing. Um, and men in that day and age wore um, <laughs> skirty things. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they're called tunics. <laughs> but I want you to imagine, <laughs> my husband's losing it. Um, <laughs> I want you to imagine how foolish he must have looked. Like, really, like to, to climb up in a tree. Because he would have had to tie it up in awkward ways. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to recover Jason. Um, <laughs> he's done. But he was willing to look foolish to see Jesus. Yeah, Are we willing to look foolish to see him, yeah. to behold him? Good. Good. You know, we can, we can do the religious thing. We can attend church. We can check the box. We can keep playing church and just, I come on Sunday and all is well and everything's good. But, but Jesus says, if you're warm, I will spit you out. Be hot or cold, don't be warm don't be lukewarm. we are not a lukewarm church we're a church that runs we're a church that goes for it that we want we hunger and we thirst for him we want him so much and I'm willing. I'm willing to look foolish. this is very uncomfortable for, uncomfortable for me and I know I've told a lot of you that but I feel so called to preach and I feel like the Lord has put a mantle on me to do that. And, and this, for me, I feel foolish every time. It doesn't matter how often I do it. I don't care. I, I hope that I still actually feel foolish in like 30 years because it reminds me that I'm willing to do whatever he says. And we want to be a church that's willing to do whatever he says. We want to look foolish for him. Not not because we just want to look foolish, but because if we're running after him, we want to do—we lay everything aside. All the things. Like, we want to just lay it all aside and run for him with endurance. And so sometimes that requires us to look a, a little foolish. Um, and I mean— in practical terms, sometimes that might be that the Lord stirs in your heart to talk to somebody that you don't know. Or maybe somebody, sometimes this is more intimidating, that you do know about your testimony. Right. Right. Sometimes we make the gospel complicated, but really the gospel is in us. It's our testimony. What has God done to, done in your life lately? How has he moved in your life? How has he met you in your darkest need? How has he shown up in some way in your life? And that is your testimony. And I think so many of us can attest to the goodness that he's provided for us in those moments. He's shown up, and that's our testimony. And so it feels like foolishness to us, but it's not to them. We're meeting them in their darkest hour, and we're saying, hey, I also, I walked through a really rough patch, and this is what God did in my life. So are we willing to look foolish to see him show up in someone else's life? Number four, Jesus invites Zacchaeus to the table. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and I don't think that he planned on having Jesus to his house that night. Um, I'm pretty sure he was probably pretty surprised that Jesus was like, hey Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm coming to your house tonight. And he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house just like a king would. Like He's like, I'm coming to your house, you're going to make a place for me. And I, as I was reading it, I was captivated because, you know, First of all, Jesus was walking through. So Jesus initiated this whole thing, right? Jesus is the one that started this with Zacchaeus. He decided to walk through Jericho. And so he's the one initiating. Zacchaeus then responds, I'm hungry and I want to see. I'm willing to look foolish to see him. I'm willing, I, I, something captures me about this. I, and I think inside Zacchaeus, he was truly like, I want to know what this guy is all about this love. I've I've heard he heals people. He does all these things. And I want to see him. I want to see the love. And so then Jesus is the next one who responds. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to invite myself to your house. And what I saw was Jesus says to us, I'm inviting myself into your heart. I'm inviting myself into your home. Your home is your dwelling place. We dwell in our, in our physical bodies. And he's saying, I want to come and dwell in you. I want to be in your home. I want to be in your heart. I want to be with you. And so, so Jesus invites himself to the table and in, <laughs> invites Zacchaeus to the table. And it says in there that, he said, "I'm going to lodge with you," and we know in this culture that if somebody was to lodge there, they would share a table, they would share a meal together at least. Um, people didn't typically lodge people without feeding them, um, and we shouldn't do this. We should do the same thing. We should feed people if they lodge with us. Um, <laughs> it's a good idea. That's just a side, you know, practical advice. Um, <laughs> so, what motivated Jesus to invi- invite? Zach, now the tree. What motivated Jesus? It was his love. His love for Zacchaeus. He saw Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he was compelled by love. And that is what compels our Heavenly Father. That's what compels him. He comes to us and he says, come on down the tree. Come and see me. Come and meet with me. I have my love for you. And we know that this love was transformative in a moment. We know this was transformative for Zacchaeus because in the very next verse, Zacchaeus, who is this high and lofty tax collector, responds with joy and then he repents with faith that is costly. And the only way that we can respond with joy and repent with faith that's costly is if we've received the love of the Father. It's his love, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his hammer, it's his love. And so as we respond, as Zacchaeus responds, he's, he responds with this joy. And isn't that amazing? Like, In our lives, when we begin to seek him, when we begin to pursue Jesus and say, Jesus, I want more of you. I want to hunger for you. I want to thirst for you. He fills us with his love, which fills us with joy. And then we also have this response of repentance. And repentance is simply this. It's It's changing the way you think about the way you think. So it used to be that these things were what you hungered for. And now you repent, you turn from them, and you say, I hunger for you. I love you in return. You loved me, you loved me first, and I love you in response. And so when we begin to repent, it looks just like Zacchaeus. He, lo- he like, tells the Lord, I'm going to give away half of what I earned on my own merit, and anything that I stole, I'm going to give it back times four. And I want you to think about this. That's costly, that's not like um, a minor repentance. That's a costly repentance. I think sometimes we want to repent halfway. And it's like, oh, I'll kind of give it up. But Zacchaeus gave up all his riches. Because I don't know that he would have much left. If he gave up half of what he earned uh, like righteously and then four times what he earned unrighteously, that's a lot of money. So he was basically saying, I'm willing to despair all of that so that I can be with you. And this is in stark contrast to in Luke 18, just a chapter before, Jesus talks about a rich young ruler or talks to a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler was very interesting. He said, how can I get eternal life? How can I, how can I live eternally? And Jesus says, well, obey all the commandments. And he lists them out. And then the young ruler says, I've done all those. He was very self-righteous. Self-righteous. And then Jesus says, okay, there's one thing you lack. Go and give all you have to the poor. And then you, you can come and follow me. And the rich young ruler wouldn't do it. And I was thinking about what's the difference between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus recognized his depravity. Zacchaeus recognized, I'm a sinner. I have nothing on my own accord. He recognized that he was the lowest of the low and that he had cheated people, that he had done it wrong. He had gone about all these things wrong. And then the rich young ruler said, I've done everything well. And the Bible tells us that he who is loved much will love much. Who he forgiven much will forgive much. And so when we are forgiven much, there's something in us that shifts. It's a love that shifts. And here's the thing. You, you can live pretty righteous, like you can live a really righteous life, but still need forgiveness. It's recognizing that we need it. It's the recognition in our mind and then the repentance. I turn to you, Lord. I've looked at these other things, or I've turned to this to be my security. I've turned to this to be my safety. I've turned to this to be my, my hope, and I am turning back to you. Change the way I think. Renew my mind by the power of your word. Change me and make me whole. And I come to you, and I let your love fill me and overtake me and wash over me. Make me hungry for you. Make me thirsty for your word. Make me thirsty for who you are, and fill me once again. So Zacchaeus responds with joy and he repents with faith that is costly. Faith can be costly, faith can require us to do things in the natural that cost us something. But here's the deal, the Lord always meets us right there. He meets us with something in return. It's not like we give up something and get nothing. He asks us to lay something down and he always meets us with something in return. And it might not be the same thing, it might look a little different, but it's always fulfilling, much more fulfilling. So for Zach, I just think about him and I'm like, he laid down all this wealth, he laid it all down. And you know what? I bet that there was a lot of love poured back into his life. I bet he was filled with joy continually. Um, So the question is, do we recognize our spiritual depravity? And let's respond like Zach. Let's seek Jesus. Let's look for him. Let's respond with joy and love to him. And repent with with a faith that's costly. Um, So... I think that the, the, the thing that's interesting to me is that Jesus, he chose to reveal himself to people as they were going on their way. He chose to reveal himself to his disciples at tables when they were hungry. He, he chose to reveal himself in these humble places, and he wants to reveal himself to us in humble places too. I think that sometimes we think this is where he's going to move the biggest, but I have seen him move at tables, at places where we're talking, and we're interacting with one another, and we're sharing our stories. And uh, the, thing that, the thing that I see in the story of Zacchaeus is that Zac- Zacchaeus was hungry, and then Jesus came to his house. And he met with him there. It wasn't in front of the crowd and the throng of people. It was at his house. And so the invitation is there. We need to start inviting one another to our houses. We need to sit at the table together and talk and begin to pray for one another and ask one another, hey, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What have you been reading in the word? Where, where are you at in the word? And it's like, oh, I'm in John, and I don't really get this story be vulnerable, be humble, be willing to ask questions of one another and encourage one another and spur one another on in our our walks with Jesus. And, you know, he wants us to gather and be hungry. And he wants us to love one another, to be his hands and feet, to love one another at that table. We get to be his hands and his feet, the very love of Christ towards one another. And so I think that uh, we can... We can take a lot from this story, and my big question for the end is just, are we gathered around the table hungry? Are we hungry for his love to be poured out at our tables, our tables with one another? Are we hungry for his love to be poured out at our tables together? Um, Our table spaces are meant to help us find healing through vulnerability. We've got to be honest. We've got to repent. We've got to confess. We also need to receive the grace and love that's there. We've got to grow as a family, the church family, and then also biological families. You know, there's nothing more sacred than our, our family table. We hold that very dear in our home. We, we want the family table to be a place where our kids are known and loved and cherished, but also come to know the Lord. And so we've, in, we've incorporated a lot of things at our family table uh, that are probably, I don't think they're that unique, but we're intentional we're intentional with our table. We don't eat the meal in front of the TV or different things like that, but we eat it with our kids. We look them in the eye and we and we talk to them and we ask them questions. What and we read stories. We read Bible stories straight from the Bible. Um, We have a New Living Translation Bible, and we're going through the book of Mark right now. And I would challenge you, if you have kids at home, whether they're little or big, our kids are kind of still elementary age, uh, whether they're little or big, you can start to read the Bible together and meditate on Scripture together, ask questions, begin to pursue the Lord together, and find out kind of where your kids are at. I think a lot of shepherding can happen at our tables. We can lead our kids to Jesus' feet and show him his love and his mercy. So we build, these, uh, we build our family and we grow as a family at our table, but we also invite other people to come and sit at that table with us. We want other people to come along. It's not just our family unit. It's not just our church family unit. We want to invite people that are outside of our church to come and sit at our table as well. So if you know people that don't know Jesus right now, you can invite them to your table and introduce them to him. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean shoving the gospel down their throat, but it could be um, just sharing your story, sharing a little bit of where you're at, what's going on. Um, Some practical steps. Uh, Oh, I skipped a few, sorry. Sorry. Build some lifelong relationships. We can build lifelong relationships at our tables. We can sit down together and we can build lifelong relationships. And um, when we share meals together, we begin to uh, talk with one another and get to know one another on a deeper level, and we can begin to, to grow in that space. We get to give and receive love and experience a foretaste of eternity. You know, the when Jesus comes and returns, he's going to have a large wedding feast with himself and his bride, the church. And I just want us to think about that. When we eat together, we're actually partaking of a foreshadow of that. We're actually eating and consuming together, and and it's like a foretaste of what is to come. Um, some practical steps. Just start sharing meals with others in our congregation. So invite somebody over for dinner. And I, I want to just preface this with... Even if you don't have a table, sit, sit on your couch. Like seriously, it's OK. It doesn't have to be the table. Um, it's, it's a metaphor. Um, but we can invite one another. It, and your house doesn't have to be clean. I mean, m- maybe try to sweep the floor or something. But um, And if you're not a good cook, don't be embarrassed. Order pizza. Like, seriously, sometimes in our culture, I think we make it more than it needs to be. Um, we've got to start, like, sharing a meal together. And sometimes that might mean meeting at a restaurant. Uh, because literally you're living in, I don't know, I know some people in our, in our congregation live in different types of homes. Which I think is really cool, personally. Um, and so they don't have a table. But what if, what if you, like, invited yourself like Jesus did to somebody? else's house <laughs> be prepared <laughs> um, we but we've got to get outside of our comfort zones a little bit we make it so like embar- we get embarrassed about our home maybe it's not big enough maybe it's not this maybe it's not that oh they're gonna see I've never put pictures on my wall the the first two years we lived here I didn't have pictures on my wall um because I was like I don't want to live here um, in that house not Boise I wanted to live in Boise <laughs> that house The Lord did a really big work on my heart. Um, It was like, you're going to live here. Put pictures on the wall. Okay. I thank you for our home. Um, And I still am living there. So if you come, you'll now see pictures on our wall. (laughs) Um, And it's a wonderful house. I don't, anyway, that's a whole different story. The bottom line, (laughs) invite people over or invite yourself to their house or invite them to coffee. Truly, you can, you can always say, hey, do you want to grab coffee at a little shop? And that's a very practical thing that we can do to build our church, to get to know one another better, to begin to learn and begin to uh, stretch ourselves outside of the box. And uh, I know that a lot of you are really great at this, but I want to say this, this includes outside of small groups because I think sometimes we limit our fellowship just to small groups. Now, small groups are a great tool. They're a fabulous tool. They're a great place to start to get to know someone. But we need to go past the small group. We need to step past the small group and say, hey, you know what? Those people were kind of nice. I liked them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know them a little more outside of just that one time a week that you see them. So anyway, that's my pastoral encouragement to you. Um, some great questions to ask. These are just a few suggestions, okay? But what is God speaking to you about? What is the step of faith that he's asking you to take in this season? What is, what, what, what is he leading you to do? Because he's always leading us somewhere. So maybe just ask one another, what's he asking you to do? And then encourage one another and build one another's faith. Say, you can do that. That's actually, I see that. I hear that. I, I actually, I think that's a good idea. And encourage one another. Discuss the difference between faith and works. There's a good table talk for you. I'm just saying, like, I'm throwing out some ideas here. You could ask them, hey, what do you see as the difference between faith and works? Or how they go together? Pull out James. That's a good book to read on that one. Um, think of how many diverse animals there are and discuss God's love for variety. I'm just saying, like, you can pull some conversations up. Okay? These are just... I'm these are just suggestions. You don't have to ask them. You might think that's trivial, but if you ask that with kids, especially my son, he likes Wild Kratts, and um, he will give you the 15 different facts about each animal that he has watched. It's impressive. Now, if I tell him a fact that I read, he won't remember it to save his life, but if it was in Wild krats, he remembers Um, Another thing you can do is discuss Bible stories and try to imagine what the scene would have looked like and then imagine how the people in the story might have felt in that situation. What were they feeling? What was going on? And then how did they overcome it? Um, I know that sometimes conversations can be hard, but we've got to start having them as as a church and start encouraging one another and building one another's faith and beginning to spur one another on in faith. Um. The bottom line is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has and buys the field. Let's be a people who sell everything and go and buy the field. Hungry. Hungry and thirsting for him. Um, You know, if you're here and you have never experienced the love of Jesus... You've never seen him. You've never uh, experienced what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna just make an, an kind of a presentation for you about who he is. He's loving, he's kind, he loves people. He actually was, he came and he dwelled in fleshly body. He made himself subject to need and he, died on the cross so that all of humanity, if they would turn to him, could have life for eternity in him. And uh, that means forever. Eternity just means forever and ever and ever. We get to live with him in his love, in his glory. And uh, we get that love right now. We don't have to wait until we die to get the love. It comes and it, it affects us right here, right now. And so if you've never made a decision and said, Jesus, I want you to come and take away all my sin. And sin is simply this, it's missing the mark. We've put our focus on something besides God, we've made everything else God, but God. And uh, we we've turned from him, we've tried to do it our own way, instead of turning to him. And if, if you've never turned to him, and asked him to come, and forgive you of your sins, and make him the Lord of your life, you can do that right here today. You don't, you don't have to, but you can. There's an invitation. There's an invitation to respond to the love of the Father, to come and sit at a table with him. Just like Zacchaeus did. There's an invitation to come down from the tree, and he wants to come and make his home in your home, right where you are. You don't have to fix yourself. He offers to come and dwell with you right where you are. All you have to do is ask and say, Jesus, I, I want you to come and forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I confess you as the Lord of my life. And then you go on a journey with him. It's a lifelong journey of growing and learning about him, learning who he is and letting him change and shift your life. And it's a good journey, sometimes a hard journey, but a really good, fulfilling, worthwhile journey. Um, I can say that with my own heart and mind. I got, I, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was 20 years old. And it was life-changing for me. I, I was desperate and hungry. Nothing could fill my belly, nothing. And I just, I wanted nothing more than someone to love me. And in a church service similar to this, the pastor just said, his love for you is great, right where you are. And I was able to respond. And so if that's you this morning, We're gonna pray a prayer all together. Many of us have prayed this prayer many times, but we're gonna pray together and just ask him to come. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth, acknowledge that he's Lord, and then he will come and begin to do a work on the inside of you. Everything will be different from this day forward. And you begin to walk out that faith. And I would encourage you, if you're praying this prayer for the first time today, go out to our Connection Center. It's like right out from here, um, Melina is going to be out there and she has Bibles. Available for you, and you can grab a Bible, and she'll tell you uh, kind of some information about how to take a next step with Jesus. You can also fill out a card, that card called a connection card, and drop it in the bucket, and just mark on there, "I accepted Jesus for the first time today," or maybe maybe you've already known Him, but you've not been walking with Him. You can mark, "I want to rededicate my life to the Lord." Like just let us know so that we can follow up with a with a little bit of information about how to walk with Him. He loves you. He's for you. And uh, we just, we get to believe. That's what our part is, is believing that and walking in faith with that. So let's pray together. Jesus, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, to come and dwell in our hearts. Come and make your home in me. Cleanse me and wash me, make me new. Put your Holy Spirit in me so that I can live. I make you the Lord of my life. You are God, and I acknowledge you. I want to live with you forever. Help my hunger to grow for you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.